0: We are now in a new section in Ephesians 4, 25 to the end of the chapter. Those of you who have been with us before know that when we start into a new section, I kind of do an overview of where we're going to go, and that's what we get today. So if you would please follow with me in the reading of the Word of God. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you have been sealed, for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Father, we come now to look upon your word, to drink deep to understand the things that are in the Christian's heart by the power of your Spirit. Father, we are different. Some translations even call us peculiar. But, Father, we've been set aside. So help us, Lord. Help us to walk worthy. Help us to not walk as the Gentiles, but help us to reflect the glory and the majesty of the King of kings and Lord of lords, in Christ's name. This text, this 25 to 32, is what I would call practical. We have dealt with theology. we looked at theology in the first three chapters, and now he's setting the stage for practical. You know, as I was kind of going through this, I was like, you know, these people don't need me for this. God just needs you to read it. I mean, it's, you know, I, what am I going to tell you? Well, yeah, that's what it said. Throw it. Right. Let's move on to chapter five. What I will try to do over the next 12 years is expand its fullness. I'm <laughs> sorry, I thought that was funny. I want us to think about something as Christians. I've been dealing with this. I told you a couple of weeks ago, I had a conversation. I find myself not wanting to call myself a Christian anymore because uh, everybody does. The Mormons call themselves Christians. The Catholics call themselves Christians. The JWs call themselves Christians. uh, And there's a whole bunch of people in the church that call themselves Christians that I hope I'm not chained to on Judgment Day. I think I'm leaning more that I'm not a Christian but I'm a follower of Christ because as a follower of Christ you will be distinct in the world I don't care who you are if you look at the life of Jesus Christ he was distinct he stood out if you look at the apostle Paul Peter, John, Matthew Mark, Luke They were different than the world. I want to take you back. Some of you, gosh, not as many as I thought. Remember when I taught through Matthew? Gosh, that was, I think that was before the car, wasn't it? (laughs) Didn't we all come in on buggies or something like that? I want to take you back to Matthew's gospel chapters 5 to 7 the Sermon on the Mount it's an interesting text I watch people do a lot of strange things to try to understand what it says doesn't seem like it's that complicated to me but Jesus is telling people uh, and he's saying to people who are part of his kingdom that you will be different than the rest of the world. Okay? The people in Jesus' kingdom, they will think differently. They will talk differently. They will act differently. Can okay, I want you to think about that for a second? In the world and the society in which we live in, do I think differently? Do I talk differently than the rest of the world? Do I act differently? Because a child of God, a true child of God, their motives are different. Not only are their motives, but you know what? They will worship differently. And think about that for a second, because I deal with pastors all over the place. Some of them worship differently, and I'm not sure what that means, Uh, and I don't really want to ponder it. True children of the kingdom should be easily spotted from the world. They should stand out. Now listen, I don't mean you need to be obnoxious. You don't have to run around hanging a banner, turn or burn baby or any of these other crazy stuff. But the way you carry yourself, the way you walk yourself, your nature, your character, your actions are different than the world. I was telling my Sunday school class this morning, over my life, I have led people to Christ, but it was never—it was never here. Read this track. Say this prayer. I think the quickest one that I led took me five years. Had a a guy hard driving marine. We had in common motorcycles. Uh, I was raised by a marine. And um, over the course of uh, 10 years, I got to baptize him. Uh, some of you guys know Joe it's two motorcycles, and I think he was the quickest about five and a half years uh, he came to salvation. He's at a church now out in Oklahoma, and he said that uh, I snuck up on him with salvation. So you, you, you have in your mind that salvation is this Billy Graham crusade. Truth of the matter is, your walk gives you permission to speak. Okay? Everyone wants to talk. But have you earned the Right? When I uh, look at the church, the children of God, the children of the kingdom, they should be easily spotted in our world, in our world today. I mean, don't, don't tell me that we have a moral fiber here in this country that's just amazing, and how do you spot a Christian in all of this? There's a difference between those who are in the kingdom let me tell you something. You're going to look at this over the next few months as we go through 4, 5, and 6. There should be a drastic difference. An amazing difference. When I look at the Sermon on the Mound, there is a huge difference. He starts off, blessed are the poor of spirit. The beggars of spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, Hmm. for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure of heart, they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called sons of God. That is not our culture, people. That is not our culture. That is not the United States. They ain't nowhere here on this planet that that exists except in those who are in the kingdom. There is a huge difference. Jesus is calling. He starts right off with the Sermon on the Mount with a huge difference. There is a massive, massive difference. We are not to be like the world. Remember what I told you in chapter 1 of Ephesians? We are a new creation. Not like anything that ever was. We are a new creation and we are in Christ Jesus. We are different. If we are a new creation, we are different. You and I, now try to get this in the light of our society right now. You and I, if you are truly in Christ's kingdom right now, your goal is for you to decrease. So that he will increase. Between you and me. Isn't that different? We are truly a new creation. We are a different creation now the Sermon on the Mount I'll let you guys read it Jesus is talking to a mass of people maybe a few thousand okay of this few thousand of these people they believed that they were citizens of the kingdom they believed they were believers I have people tell me that all the time. I believe in Jesus. Good. So do the demons. And they tremble. I remember in my days before Christ, I was doing a lot of illegal things. I used to carry a little Bible around with me, like a rabbit's foot. Well, I wasn't a believer. I believe there was a God. I believe he created all this thing, and I believed that I was going to try to enjoy as much of it as I could. What a theology, eh? They believed that they were the ones that were in on God's kingdom. I remember talking to Dr. MacArthur, his church church has a membership of somewhere over 60,000 people, and he's told me that he believed that at the catching up of the church, the rapture of the church, when the church is taken to heaven, there wouldn't be enough of us missing that anybody would notice. Take, let that sink in for a minute. you got a congregation of 60,000 people, and you don't know if there's enough of them there, then anybody will notice that we're gone. That's scary. But when I look around and I think about it, he may be right. That group that was on the Mount side when Jesus was speaking were the ones that believed that they were going to receive God's blessings. We're in his kingdom. I call them professors, not possessors. I guess you could call them Christians, but not followers. Remember when Jesus challenged them all? Take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. What did it say? Many left. Peter says, who else are we going to follow? Now there's a strong faith. You know? Who else am I going to follow? I've run out of options. They sold my fusion boat. Christians not followers I read somebody said quote people cover up their sinful heart with a religious cloak unquote hmm they mask many mask carnality with spirituality Okay, to quote R. C. Sproul they are religious, they are not regenerate, because if you're regenerate, guess what? you're different. Verse twenty chapter five of Matthew, Jesus says this, It should scare the water out of most Christians. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The scribes were the lawyers. Some of your translations may say lawyers. They were the experts in the law. They knew what the Bible said. And unless your righteousness was greater than the theologians you're not getting in see we see the Lord calling for a standard of righteousness that is due and is demanded of every follower of Jesus Christ I mean if you think about it is that not the very definition of a Christian if I'm a disciple who am I following Jesus Christ So what is the standard of righteousness? Holiness. He is calling this group on this mountainside. I don't want you to be a phony. Many will call me Lord, Lord. Did we not do signs and wonders in your name? What will he say? I never knew you. He says, I don't want you to be superficial. I don't want you to have a religious covering. I don't want you to have a moral covering. And you know what? There was a ton bunch of them in Jesus' day. They did the sacraments. They knew what they were supposed to do. They knew what they were not supposed to do. But they were not his. See, it is not those who claim to be in the kingdom, but those who prove it by their living. What does your life say? That's what we're dealing with now here in Ephesians. A true believer in Jesus Christ is distinct. A true believer in Jesus Christ is different. They are unique. Okay? If you are not living that way, a life that is different than the world, there is a distinct possibility you're not a Christian. Or you're very miserable. Jesus said, I came to give you life abundantly. Do you feel that way? Do you feel like you have the joy of eternal God in you? Or do you have happiness? You know, when this happens and it's good, I'm happy. That's not the joy of the Lord. Listen, no matter what you claim, no matter what you imagine, you are to be different than the world. And see, it doesn't matter how religious you are. It doesn't even matter how moral you are. Well, I don't drink. I don't cuss. I don't look upon others in lust very long. All right? So, you know, I've never acted on my lust. I just, whoa, I'll p- pass on. See, unless there is a distinction in your living, there is a possibility. There is no distinction in your nature either. Okay? You ever get angry? So does the world. Do you ever worry? So does the world. Okay, I don't worry. I just fret. Oh, okay. I have frets on a guitar. But they don't worry. See what I'm trying to get at? I mean, I look at people and sometimes it's very disheartening. Listen, the Apostle Paul, what you're dealing with now in our text is reinforcing the Sermon on the Mount and, he, and he's doing it in Ephesians. Same truth. Same truth. I listen to quote-unquote Christians. Notice I did not use the term Followers. And they sound just like the world. Some cases I challenge them on it. Sometimes it's just fun. Roll a grenade in there and see who jumps on it. Chapters 1 to 3 in Ephesians, he showed us what our position was. Chapter 4 to 6, he says... I just want to show you how you are to act. So you have the position where you are in Christ and you have the action of a person who is in Christ. I see a lot of people who will take Ephesians and they know what they are to do and not to do. They have no idea what their position is. And you see them frustrated. Listen, you cannot separate your position in Christ... From your actions in Christ. Okay. There's always the standard. Of the terms. Of the position. You know if you act like you're lost. Then you probably are. But don't blame Jesus for it. Always the activity. Is in the terms of the behavior. And they always go together. How you act is based on your behavior. Out of the mouth speaks the heart. If I'm a new creation, I have a new heart. If I have a new heart, guess what? i got new actions. If you look at your outline, you'll see that you go from lying to speaking the truth. Oh, I don't lie, really. It's hyperbole. It's just an exaggeration for the sake of effect. Especially when I'm dealing with the IRS. Right? You see what I mean? I don't lie. It's, I'm ad- embellishing it. You know, I listen to people tell me, pastors tell me how many people they baptized. And it's always funny, because they always round it up. Listen, I'm a pastor. Been a pastor for a while. I know exactly how many people. And I can give it to you to the exact number. Okay? But why do we want to round it up? There's always a standard. You can see that you've changed from an unrighteous anger to a righteous anger, you can see that you've moved from stealing to sharing. Well, I don't steal anything. Really? I'll deal with that, and we'll see how you come out on that. Are you go from rotten words to edifying words. You ever notice that it's easier to downcast somebody than it is to lift them up? You know what I learned? If all I can say is bad, shut up. I don't care if they deserve it. Okay? Just be quiet. Be quiet. My grandma, she was, God rest her soul. She never said a bad thing about anybody, and she had every right that I could ever think of for a person to say it. My grandfather was a piece of work. And I'll never forget, she lived in absolute poverty for as long as I knew her. And when I got ready to move to Colorado, she said, you got to come by the house. I said, all right. So I was going to give her a hug. She was only about that tall. So you felt like you was in the NBA when you were around her. And she came. She said, uh, you know, your daddy always wanted to go out west. And she said, uh, I think that's probably why you're going. I, did, I knew why I was going, and it wasn't that reason. But that's all right. She handed me a case of cans that she canned jams. Jelly, some people call him, we call him jam. Jim. I hate jam. She gave me a case of it, I'm like, I wonder how long this'll last. But anyway, so I took it and she says, You know, I don't have a lot. And she handed me a twenty dollar bill. You know, I still got that twenty? It's in a can in my my gun safe. Because she didn't have no money. But that's the way she was. She didn't use rotten words. Now she'd take a switch to you. Don't kid yourself. I had been switched a time or two. Or three. Maybe four or five. See, there's always the activity and the terms of our behavior and they go together. There are so many and the church today. Who are deceived. And it's no different as the time of when the Lord. And Paul walked on this planet. You can say I'm a Christian. Because. I remember. I received Christ. I remember. I remember I received Christ. You know what? I love you. It's not in the Bible. Okay. If you are a believer, let me explain to you some things that'll help you out, all right? Because that's that's what I'm here for—to help you out. Second Peter chapter one. I will begin at verse two. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. How? Hmm. Do you have grace and peace? Do you show us grace and peace? Because you have so much because of your knowledge of God. Because see, if you have knowledge of God, you know what they call that? Doctrine. Doesn't that excite you? Yay, doctrine. The more doctrine you have, the more theology you have, you know what you have exponentially? Grace and peace. You ever seen anxious people? You know what you're telling me? My doctrine ain't very good. I remember somebody told me a long time ago you will live your life according to the size of your God. The bigger your God is, the more I can smile and say, What are you going to do? Kill me? That's a reward. let me read some more of this the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord verse 3 seeing see now you got to have that knowledge remember what I told you about this it's all between your ears seeing that his divine power has granted to us what just about everything pertaining to life and godliness no everything pertaining to life and godliness life is the temporal godliness is the eternal so what are you lacking Christian hmm again there it goes again through the true Imagination of Him. No. Through the true knowledge of Him. See why I do what I do? I want to give you the true knowledge of Him. I don't want your speculation. And it's like, how many wise men were there? We're still looking for one. No. <laughs> how many wise men were there? We don't know. It doesn't say. But we can give them names. And you don't know that. I know that when they rode in and talked to Herod, looking for the Messiah, that Herod was troubled. And if you go look at these guys, they were Persians. You know what that is today? Iranians. And they would travel. Each wise man would have about 1,000 cavalry. So, if there was three, then he rode into town with 3,000 cavalry. If there was 12, the number just went up. I also know that Herod had sent his garrison up to Galilee to stop the Jews. So, he was unarmed. And here's all these Persians riding in with these mounted soldiers. And it says, he was troubled. <laughs> you think? But see, this is what true knowledge is. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. Hmm. So that by them you may become what? Partakers of what? Partakers of what? Based on the true knowledge, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, now I don't know about you, but to me, that makes us distinct. We are partakers of the divine nature. Hmm. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Overpowering passions. You know what the greatest overpowering passion of the world is? There's one that drives them all. Did you know that? You know what it is? Self. Self is the focus of it. I don't care if it's adultery, if it's murder, if it's coveting. You take all of them itself. That's the essence of it. That's why my counseling business is so small. I just look at him, and say, quit being selfish. Well, I hope I get through this. All right. You've escaped the corruption because you are partakers of the divine nature. Look at verse 5 for this reason. Also, apply how? All diligence. You know what that means? Keep at it. When, always, in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours, they are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. See how that works? I like that. If I'm a partaker of the divine nature, he just listed it out there, didn't he? He who lacks these qualities is blind short-sighted have forgotten his purification from his former sins remember what Paul said don't walk as the Gentiles verse 10 therefore brethren be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling his choosing of you for as long as you practice these things you will Never stumble. Okay? We are beyond corruption. We receive precious promises. We are partakers of the divine nature. If you are doing those things, guess what? It is seen. It is seen. It doesn't look like the world. Because in doing that, the only way your salvation is verified that your calling is sure is that your virtue will be added to. Okay? Let me ask you a question. You ever yell at somebody? Why would you yell at somebody? Are they deaf? Well, I lost my temper. Oh, Was that a righteous anger? They have done something to shame God or shame Jesus? Oops. See how it works? You know why he says, be diligent? Between you and me, it's a pain in the rear end. That's why this is a task. Listen, the life shows the reality. When you have the virtue of kindness and love and selflessness, all of those in that list are characteristics of a new nature, characteristics of a new creation. And you will have the knowledge of your salvation, the assurance of your salvation. Why? Because your nature has changed. Your character has changed. Well, I wasn't that bad. Go back to square one then. Listen. Salvation, the shirts of salvation is not by remembering a past event, but by seeing a present life. Okay? I know a whole bunch of people talking about heaven who don't look like they're going. The first John, his little letter, says the same thing. You can know that you are a Christian. You can know that you are a follower of Christ by the things going on in your life right now. True Christian, true follower. They can get into a sinful nature, a sinful situation. Okay? And they may even get into it for a length of time. Okay? But you know what? Every single time that a follower of Jesus Christ gets into a sinful situation for any length, they lose their sense of security. They will start hearing these little words go creeping between their ears. Am I saved? Am I saved? They start doubting it. See, that comes from the witness of our life. Listen, if you're not living a different life, there's a real possibility you're not a different person. You can be a moral person. So what? Hell's going to be full of a lot of moral people. new creatures act like new creatures the nature has changed even though now i want to kind of wrap this thing up even though textually what i've just given you whether it's a sermon on the mount first john second peter 1 this is an absolute this is not bargaining things, even though God says this is how it is, there is an element here that is of your choice. Okay? Some people want to call it your will. That's fine. You can call it your will. It's your choice. I don't see will because when I read Romans, it says I'm either a slave to sin or I'm a slave to righteousness, and I'm trying to figure out how my will plays into that. I mean, I can choose to go back to my old master and I know all of the benefits that were there or I can choose the benefits of my new master. This choice or your will is one of the things that I call a paradox in the Christian life. Okay? A paradox is not two places to park a boat. Okay? Just case you're trying to figure it out. I have a question. Okay, now every one of you are going to answer it just like this. But then I will give you scripture for it. Here's the question. Who lives the Christian life in you? You or the Lord? Who lives that life? Okay. Well, eat Ooh, it's a trick. We know how he is. Okay, I'll give you two verses. Not I, but Christ living in me. Okay? Amen. All right, try this one. Yet I beat my body to bring it into subjection. Ooh. Same guy wrote both of them. Which is it? That's where you park two boats. It's a paradox. Okay? We respond to the commands. Unless I yield to the Spirit of God, moment by moment, I know it's not going to happen. Okay? Now then, I also know that if I don't re- yield to the Spirit of God, He will take me there. <laughs> You can either do it sooner or later. It's God's sovereignty 100%. It's my response to that sovereignty. Let me give you a verse that I know many of you have forgotten. Okay, and it wasn't, what, 12 years ago or something like that. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Remember this verse. Okay? It's a good verse, especially if you're dealing with a Calvinist or an Arminianist, because it causes their heads to explode. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. (laughs) I like that one. I drive people crazy with that one. But what does that mean? Just what it said. Okay? See, it's like I stated out of Romans. Our will is not free. We are slaves. Okay? That's the paradox. What Paul is saying here, if you are a new creation... A new creature. Remember what he's told us in 1 to 3. Chapters 1 to 3 in this letter. Then you will live like chapters 4 to 6. Okay? But you have to nail down the true knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? He's not your genie. Okay? He is the ruler of existence. He created time. Now they're just still kind of... Uh, Okay. That's who he is. The water's fill in the hollow of his hand. The span of his hand is creation. That one. That one who knows when a sparrow falls. That one who knows the hairs of our head. That one who knit us in our mother's womb. And he knows the moment that our faith will become sight. That one. That one who knows the plans that I have for you. That I created before the foundations of the world. That one. You became a new creature based solely and wholly on the sovereignty of God. Okay? Do you understand? To become a new creation was His will. Because you are a new creation, you now walk in it. You will, as my dear friend in glory you will flesh it out. It will be seen. A new creature. Listen, I want you to think about this a second. You are a new creation. Okay, you may still have this same thing, container, right? So I'm a new creation, right? New creation. What happens to your will? If you're a new creation, what happens to your will? I want to serve the one who created me. As a new creature, you find in the Bible oftentimes statements that this is how a Christian is to live. Sometimes it's a principle. Sometimes it's a command. When... Paul was dealing with a young Timothy on dealing with youthful lust. What did he tell Timothy? Flee. It's a command. Not only is it a command, it's an imperative. Why? You're only going to end up burned. Run. And if you have to, squeal like a little girl over the hills and dales. I think that's the new English version. Why? You can't handle it, kid. Why? Paul understood it. Paul had a spiritual gift of singleness. Anybody asking for that one? That's what I thought. Everybody talks about spiritual gifts. I would like to have this gift. How about that singleness? Want that singleness one? Whoa, 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 wait a minute. This is how you are to live. This is what God will do in your life if you believe. Peace that surpasses understanding. But this is what you must do. You can believe, your belief will then have an action to it, correct? We're not robots. And I kind of like that. Although, from a pastor's viewpoint, it's sometimes annoying. If I had a bunch of programmable robots, sometimes I think it'd be easier. But anyway... Because the reason is, every true believer in Jesus Christ, guess what? You're involved. Remember what Peter said? You will not be useless, ineffective. Remember what he said? You are partakers of what? What kind of energy do you suppose is behind that one? See, it's the divine energy that makes us what we are supposed to be. But it is submission of the heart that allows the energy to flow through each and every one of us. It's fascinating if you think of time. Think about it. Sometimes it's a statement, sometimes it's a command. Since you are a new creation, you are entirely different. Here's how you are to be distinct. Here is how your life is to be set apart. You are different than the world. goes without saying that the church better be different or we don't have anything to say. Right? Yes. Remember what we looked at in chapter 4, 17 to 24? That was Paul's general statement. Just a big, broad-brush statement. Christians are to be different. Put off the old, put on the new. We don't walk as the Gentiles. Them guys who are useless, they're blind, they're darkened, they're hard-hearted, unclean, insensitive, greedy. Now nah, you're different. It's not about self. Okay? Remember? You have learned Christ. Remember what Peter said? The true knowledge. That's why I tried to challenge you all read. Just read it. Verse 22 we are to put off the old. Verse 24 we are to put on the new. Listen, that is a very general statement. Okay? We are to put on a new lifestyle, we have a new walk. It's general. Okay? 1 to 3, because of your position in Christ, chapters 1 to 3. 4 to 6, this is how it should look. If you want to know if you're truly saved. Now, beginning in verse 25, the Apostle Paul gets very specific. Are you moving from lying to speaking truth? Are you moving from an unrighteous anger to a righteous anger? And I'll deal with these. Have I moved from stealing to sharing? Have I moved from rotten words to edifying words? Have I moved from my vices to virtues? We'll get specific. Why? Brothers and sisters, this is the new life. The new life. It's awesome. It's awesome. But I'm telling you over and over and over and over again, it comes from the true knowledge of God the Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not what you want Him to be. Okay? You know, everybody's got, him. he's just a cool little baby in a manger and he walks around, pats everybody on the head, those little babies and all the rest of it. Dude, wait till you see him on the white horse. Okay? Wait till he stands on the temple mound and speaks to the armies of the world trying to kill him at Megiddo. That one. Okay? And we'll get into this starting next Sunday. Unless he returns. And if he returns, then we'll all know it anyway. We will know as we are known. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you take wretched men that we are and deliver us from these bodies of death. Help us, my King. Help us to walk in a manner worthy. Help us not to walk as the Gentiles. Let us not walk in the way we used to be as unsaved. Help us to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Help us to be overwhelmed with these great and precious promises you've already given us. The Father, let each and every one of us, I beg you, be partakers of the divine nature. To you, my Savior, and my King, thank you. Amen.